please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 11, verses 1 through 17, as we continue in our series, The Jesus We Need, uh, not the one that's presented to us in so many places in culture, not the one we pick and choose, that we like this about Jesus but don't like that about Jesus. I mean the Jesus as He is, as He presents Himself and is presented in the Gospel of John. That's what we've been doing looking at the Jesus we need. And please turn to John 11, 1 through 17. Let's pray. Lord, would you lift our eyes to show us Christ. And this morning, would you show us his sovereignty and his glory and his timing that we need to trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right before our text, Jesus left Jerusalem, and the reason he left Jerusalem is they tried to stone him to death. And then after they tried to stone him to death, they they arrested him. And so he slipped away because it was not yet his time. Don't you love that sentence? It was not yet his time. And so he slipped away. Everything's on God's timetable. But the apostles that were with him were ever so glad to to get away from the stoning zone of Jerusalem and to get way out in the boonies somewhere. We're not sure how far out he was, but we know he was a good ways out. When Jesus receives word that something horrible has happened right there back in Jerusalem, in Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem... Lazarus, he learns, Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Now, the first few verses of John chapter 11 make a big deal about how much Jesus loved these two sisters and their brother. So it's just two sisters and a brother that are living together, how precious they were to him, and um You know, Mary, we learn, is the one who anointed his feet in the text with perfume and wiped them with his hair. There's a very close relationship between Jesus and Mary. And then Martha, you may remember the story of Mary and Martha in their house and how Martha was doing all the cooking and cleaning and Mary just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. Same people. And then Lazarus, their brother. Lazarus must have been pretty wealthy. He had a really nice tomb we're going to find out next Next time, but um, a little aside that maybe we don't think about because, you know, we just think about Jesus being the Son of God. Sometimes we forget that He's one of us, and the Jesus movies make Him so androgynous, it's ridiculous, you know, He's just kind of this, this third thing. Jesus, we learn in this text, just a little aside, Jesus had friends. Jesus had friends. He's a real person. And Jesus was not equally close to everybody. He's closer to some people than he was to other people. And and we even know that among his twelve apostles, Peter, James, and John, those were the ones he was closest to. And we know that between Peter, James, and John, John was, quote, the disciple Jesus loved. And... um, He must have spent a good bit of time at the home of of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And we have another account and we have other mentions of these three and and Jesus being with them. And we can can just imagine that at the home of, of 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Maybe Jesus, maybe, maybe he could just kind of kick his sandals off, you know, and, and relax with his friends and, and just enjoy his friends. They were special to him. Isn't that a wonderful thing to just kind of peer into the life of the Son of God just like us in every way without sin? And now he's being told, Lazarus, the one you love, the, the one you really love, the brother of the, the two sisters that you really love, is sick. And Jesus says, Lazarus is sick, but it's not going to result in death. It's not going to end up in death. And so in verse 4 of our text, after reading about how much he loved these three, it says this. Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. Listen to this. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There it is. There it is. Why is Lazarus sick and about to die? We learn that it's no fault of his. He's a godly follower of Jesus. That his sickness is for the glory of God, and so that the Son of God might be glorified through his sickness. Now... How can an illness be for the glory of God? God can and does very often and maybe particularly use hard things in our lives and, and even illnesses, serious illnesses, to bring glory to himself. And he did that in, in the life of Lazarus here in John 11, and he is still doing that today. Um, you see, when a believer is ill, when a believer in Christ is ill, it is because a sovereign God has allowed you to be ill. I mean, we just need to own that. Either God is sovereign over all things, or He is not. He has allowed this, and somehow there can be great glory given to Jesus. Through what He puts us through. God is with us in our dark valleys. And God will work His glory while we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. And as people watch us go through the valley of the shadow of death, there can be an incredible brightness out of the dark valley of the glory of God through our lives. And I think it's comforting to realize these things, and this isn't just about illnesses. This goes for all of your trials, all of your tribulations, all of your struggles. God is sovereign over all these things. God wants to redeem them. God wants to bring glory to himself. Do not listen to that wretched theology that is all over the Christian television shows, specifically. Do not listen to it, that the idea that all illness is evil... And never God's will. This, obviously, has been stated to be God's will for the specific purpose of God's glory. And this theology is, is all sickness is evil and it's never God's will. And if you just had enough faith, then you wouldn't be sick anymore. That is one of the cruelest theologies I have ever heard. As if we are the determiners of our health and strength at all times when God is sovereign and He has allowed people to be sick. I mean, all you got to do is look at church history. 
All you got to do is see the amazing saints of God, much godlier than me, much godlier than you, I would imagine, who have died of an illness and have glorified God in their illness. And I probably don't need to remind you that every single one of you are going to die of an illness one day too. A failure in your body. You might be 99, but it will fail. It will be ill. It will be sick. And you will eventually die, every one of you, of an illness if you don't die of something more shocking than that. Have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy, mommy, why is that man so gloomy? Stay with me. Stay with me. Jesus allows us to have these trials and these struggles and these illnesses because Jesus will glorify Himself through our illness. When we choose to trust Him and walk with Him in the midst of all these things, we do realize that it is true that all things work together for good by God to those who love God and who are the called according to what? Say it. His purpose. His purpose. His purpose for all things to work together, for Him to work them all together for the good to us who are His called according to His purpose. We have had several people wrestling with cancer in the last few years in this church. And many and some are now. And that is not unique for a large church to have a larger number of people suffering with cancer But the way they have responded and the way that they have wrestled, because it's not easy. These are human beings. These are not angels. They're up and down with with their cancer, just like you're up and down with other things. You got it? The way they responded and, and the way they have wrestled by faith has been amazing to me. And yes, these people are doing all that they can do. And and what they're responsible to do to take care of themselves because God heals through medicine as well as directly. And we need to get a grip on that, that our doctors are important, but they've never healed anybody. It's God who heals through medicine, God who heals directly. And it's no less the power of God to be healed by medicine through a doctor than it is to be healed immediately uh, by the touch of God. But I have seen them trust the Lord, and there have been many dark and difficult times in the valley, literally, of the shadow of death. And I have seen different normal human responses from these dear brothers and sisters from week to week. But what has not varied, what has not varied is their belief in the sovereignty of God over everything, including their illness. And they have, and they are bringing glory to God through that which God has allowed for the purpose, evidently, and we don't know all the purposes of God, and I just get really tired of people who think they do, that God brings glory through their their struggles with cancer. And I tell you, they have, they have altered my life. Even in the last few years, this has altered my life. This has altered the way I see things. And I, I'm looking at some of y'all right now, and thank you. 
Thank you for glorifying God in your cancer. Lacey Madden, thank you. Carl Shedd, thank you. Ginger Blaylock, I saw Bobby earlier. You tell Ginger she's not well enough to be here. You tell her thank you, okay? Max Yates, thank you. Stanley Mangum, not here today because of his illness. We all tell, tell your daddy, Maggie, thank you. Those names have asterisks by them in my mind. Because Jesus has been especially glorified through their struggles. And I know that I am not the only person in this church that has been affected by them. And our church, because of them, because these are people we love. Y'all, these are, these are our family. And we have grown more faith-oriented because of you. And we have grown more nurturing-oriented, and there is something Christ-like of Jesus that has come into our church through your struggles and the glory of God being shown through your struggles. And I, I can't even know, and none of us can even know, all the other ways that God is using these things in the lives of, of, of other people, and we can't even know all this. And that's just the cancer sufferers. There's a whole list of other brothers and sisters who have wrestled with other illnesses and all kinds of other trials, all kinds of other tribulations that aren't even about illness. I love these words of Bob Utley. God takes what we consider the tragedy of human experience and engineers it for his glory. I just love the word engineers it, don't you? God takes what we consider to be the tragedy of human experience and engineers it. For his glory. You know, uh, many of us, at some point in our lives, and if you're a young person, maybe this wasn't long ago, maybe you, you haven't come to this point yet, but, but many of us have came to a point in our life at some point where we said to God basically this, I want to tell you, God, I love you. I'm your follower. Thank you that you, you, you died for me on the cross. You rose for me in the resurrection. I am new. I'm yours. And I will do anything you want me to do. And I'll do it anywhere you want me to do it. Just allow your glory to be manifested to the world through me. Allow Jesus to be seen in this world through my life. And I don't pretend to know all the ways that God is glorified in our struggles. But if the glory of God is still the chief end or chief purpose of man... Our chief purpose in our life, and we follow Christ in the midst of our trials, He will be glorified. I didn't say it would be easy. I didn't say it would be pretty. I didn't say it would be neat. I didn't say there would be awful days as well as good days. I didn't say that we would lose ground as well as gain ground. You understand? We're all going to be human beings, and it's all going to be by faith. But, but He will glorify Himself. And that matters through your life. That matters. And the relationships, they, they matter. So, so first, what is this text about? It is about, for Lazarus, how illness is allowed by God and is for the glory of God. And specifically says that the glory of the Son of God, that he would be known as the Messiah, would happen through this illness. But secondly, the next thing he says really gets to... 
the heart of our struggles, and this is about God's timing. As opposed to our timing, translated, we usually think God is late. He's not late. He is sovereign. He is bringing glory through our trials. He is not late. Jesus says something very interesting in the next verse of this passage, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them so much, verse 6, so when he heard, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he loved them so much, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Don't you find that a little odd? You'd think it would say, and Jesus loved Mary, and Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Lazarus, who was ill so much, that he immediately dropped everything he was doing, and he got himself right back down to Jerusalem. That's not what he says. He says, he loved them so much that he didn't go. He loved them so much that he, he waited for two days. But that was his timing. You see, that is what would bring about the most glory of God. That's why. God had something better for Lazarus and Martha and Mary than his healing. And his timing was so they could see, and we're going to hear in a moment, that they could believe and, and people could believe. So then he waits two days. And meanwhile, while he's waiting, his good friend Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies. Jesus says, now is the time. Now we're going to Bethany. Now we're going to his body. A um, little bit of an aside, the disciples were not happy with this at all. They felt like they barely made it out of that place just a few days ago. Verse 7, and then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, I totally get this. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go up there again? They're not very thrilled about going to see a dead body. (laughs) He's already dead, Lord. We're really thrilled about going to the greater Jerusalem metro area at this time. Now, we'll get back to God's timing in a moment. But here is another way that God often deals with us, and it's right here in the text. He called them to go back with him, and he called them specifically to leave their security and leave their comfort. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes that's what God is doing in our lives too. He's calling us to trust Him for something that won't be comfortable. He's calling us to leave that which feels secure, to do something that's not necessarily what we would want to do, and to follow Him when it's tough, even when it's dicey. I mean, who said the Christian life wasn't an adventure? 
I remember in 1991 when Gina and I were called to start a new church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and it was a very clear calling from God. And we were going to leave a very secure job as an assistant pastor in a large church, and we were going to go plant a church with six adults and three children and no money. That's nine people and no money. So I went and told the senior pastor, John Oliver, that we were going to do this, and he thought I had lost my mind. I remember him uh, asking in the way he, is it not unwise? (laughs) Quick answer, it's really unwise, unless God's calling you to do it. So that was a great question. The answer was, yes, it is unwise. And um, and so we we left <laughs> the, the comfort um, and we did it and we answered the calling to go start a new church in Tuscaloosa and for an Auburn graduate you can't imagine what a cross cultural missions opportunity that was. I look back on that now. I was 29. We were 29, both of us. I'm like, man, we were out there. Don't y'all, I, I love the old saying, you know, Lord, I don't mind walking, on out, walking out on a limb for you, but it's walking on the leaves that makes me nervous. Man, we were out on the leaves in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Anyway, I tell you all that just to, to tell you this little story because it kind of revealed a lot about what was going on. Um, we, uh, we were out to, to dinner with a young couple Connie and Sandy Hartley, and you're listening afterwards, Connie and Sandy. Um, we still love you, and we really needed you when we had nine people and no money. So we were out with them, desperately trying to get them to join the church and to give. And Connie looked at me, and she said, Joseph, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. What if it fails? She's kind of a no-nonsense person. What if it fails? I said, it's not going to fail, Connie. She said, yeah, but what if it fails? I said, Connie, it's not going to fail. fail. Please don't ask me that question again. (laughs) Because, look, I didn't even want to go there. And probably because failure was lurking so close at that time that I just couldn't even peek at it. But that's exactly where God called us. Oh, by the way, Connie and Sandy joined the church. He later became an elder, and the Lord blessed that, that church, and it's, it's a wonderful story of, of God's faithfulness. So I get the disciples' reticence to go back to Jerusalem after they had been threatened by stoning and arrest. Why now? Well, he's just asleep, Jesus says. He's asleep. Well, then, if he's asleep, he doesn't need us to go wake him up. He'll wake up. Verse 11. Now after saying these things, he said to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. The disciples said to him, verse 12, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us now go 
to him. So let's get back to God's glory through illness and suffering and God's timing. So have you ever felt that God was late? You can do that. I have. I felt like God is late a lot. Have you ever felt like you wish God would have answered you quicker and not kind of, you know, kind of hung you out on the leaves or the limb or wherever you were? But I also have to say in retrospect that some of the things that led to the most important provisions in my life, the most important, specifically came through God saying no. And God making me wait until his timing was right, until the events were right, until my heart was right. I don't even know all the things and reasons why God makes me and makes you and I so often wait. We call out to him. We say, God, I need some help. And sometimes he just chooses to wait. And we, it turns out that he comes to us just as we learn in John 11. He comes to us two days later, not before Lazarus dies. He gets there four days later. We'll talk about that next time, why that's important. Four days is real important. You'll have to come back to find out. Um, he comes to us in his own time, in his own way. And for his own purposes, and we have no control over God and his choices. We have to decide whether we're going to trust him. Whether we're going to walk with him in, in, in his timing. Um, that's what he's doing here. So, for today, and he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I think you all already know that maybe. Uh, but for today, this is about his glory and his timing. One scholar says, sometimes he waits in order to give us something that our faith needs. Maybe it is an amazing answer to prayer that we wouldn't got, have gotten immediately. Maybe it is a stunning act of his providence. Maybe it is a beautiful ordering of events that we never could have guessed or never could have imagined and never could have orchestrated ourselves, and yet... He, in his waiting, has accomplished it all. It's his timing to maximize his glory. And there's a little saying, if you look at verse 9 and 10, I'm not going to go into it. It's even what we might call his timing within a time frame. God basically, Christ basically said, this is my timing while there's still time. If you read those verses 9 and 10 about people that walk in the dark or walk in the light, he says there's only 12 hours in a day and then the darkness comes. The day is over and you can't do anything else. And so what we need to do is we need to follow God. We need to walk in the light. We need to do the works of, of Him uh, while it is yet day and while there's still time. So that's kind of, if you're wondering what verses 9 and 10 are about, that's what it's, it's still about His timing. So Jesus clarifies He's dead, but something is about to happen. Lazarus has died and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. And then Thomas says, I'm ready to go and die. Isn't it awesome? 
that Thomas is the one that says in verse 17, I'm willing to go and die. So lay off on doubting Thomas, all right? Just lay off on him. I mean, he had a bad day. Um, you know, he is a precise human being and needed to see the, the nail holes. But right here, it's Thomas who says, hey, you know what? Let's go. I'm ready to go and die for you. But can I say that in the scriptures, in church history and in history, and in our observation during our lifetime, it's not always God's will and plan to save us. Y'all do understand that, right? It's, it's not always God's will and plan to save us. But it is always His will and plan to bring maximum glory to Himself through us. I had a um, something that reminded me of Elizabeth Elliot the other day. And I, I actually sent a copy of this to Gina and uh, my two daughters uh, because... It has to do with Elizabeth Elliot's testimony about her husband, Jim Elliot. But when I was a junior in college, which was 1983, I had come to Christ and I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ at Auburn University. Now it's called Crew. And they had this conference for the whole United States in Kansas City. It was called KC83. And I don't remember exactly how many people came. It was for everybody in the nation. I think it was about 10,000 people that came or something like that. It was, it was ginormous. And um, it was this mega conference, KC83, and y'all, I was there. And Billy Graham spoke. And Howard Hendricks spoke. You wouldn't believe the Imperials. Y'all remember the Imperials? They sang. I really dated myself right then. I remember like yesterday Elizabeth Elliot's speech. And so when I, I, I Googled this, I said, I would love to hear that speech again. And it's easy to find. So write this down. I want you to listen to it. KC83 Elizabeth Elliot. And that will lead you to a YouTube. It's not a video, unfortunately, but I mean, just kind of, there's a, one picture, you know, but you can hear her talking. And you can listen to Elizabeth Elliot's speech that I listened to back in 1983. Um, I remember clearly several parts of this address about the life and murder of her husband, Jim Elliot. He was murdered, for those of you who do not know, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, and then four other missionaries, all these young men that had answered the call to do anything and go anywhere that God wanted them to go. They, had gone, they went down to Ecuador and they were reaching the Alka Indians who were supremely violent and unreached. And they were unafraid. And um, so the, the speech was about Jim Elliot, because she knew him so well, and his single-minded focus. Uh, and about his willingness to suffer as a part of God's will for his life. And she says, wait, did you say suffer as a part of God's will? Yes, I did, she says. And I would say, 
whatever brings maximum glory to God. Sometimes saving us from sickness brings maximum glory to God or from whatever we're going through. It's called delivering us. And sometimes our death or the years that we continue to have to go through something bring maximum glory uh, to the Lord. And it was the case with Jim Elliot that his death was what would bring glory to God. And so Elizabeth Elliot says, what did the world say? I had to like, like rewind this several times to be able to type it. So I did this just for y'all. I want you to know. What did the world say? What a waste. But was it? There, were, there, were, there was plenty of editorializing about it, she said. The, the, secular place, the secular press called them blankety-blank fools. The Christian press did a lot of glib explaining of why God would allow a thing like this to happen. She said later in the speech, there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. And she went on to quote his little motto, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Well, Time Magazine picked up this story, and it was like multi-pages with pictures of the airplane that they all landed in on a sandbar to make contact with these Indians and were immediately speared to death, every one of them, all five of them. And you just... You can, you can Google that. You can see the Time Magazine article, just this airplane ripped to shreds on a sandbar and spears everywhere. I mean, it is, it is just ghastly. But the, the Time Magazine picked this up, and when Time Magazine picked this up, hundreds of other uh, published, or, um, news agencies picked this up, and suddenly... These people that die in obscurity on an Ecuadorian sandbar, suddenly all the focus in the United States for, for one shining moment is on these young men and why they went down there to begin with. The focus was on, was on missions. And the brutal death of Jim Elliott and the others became an inspiration and have been and still are an inspiration for thousands and thousands of people who have given their lives to missions. Because of that death, on January 8, 1956, God allowed the families of those five missionaries to suffer horribly so that He would be glorified the most. And He even used it for the salvation of the Alka Indians. This is amazing, y'all. Through Gates of Splendor. That's the book you want to, if you want to read about it, that's the book you want to read. Through Gates of Splendor. In less than two years, Elizabeth Elliot, Single mom, her daughter Valerie, Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, one of the pilot, who was also killed, actually were able to move down into the village of the people who killed their family. Famously, they met with the very men who killed their loved ones and they forgave them. The men could not believe that they would do this and the outcome. So many of the Alka Indians became Christian that they were considered now a friendly tribe and a more Christian tribe. And even to this day, uh, Nate Saint's son and his family still live among the Alka Indians. Suffering and death led to an explosion of God's glory. 
So let me close. Should have five minutes ago. Are you suffering? I'm not asking you that in some glib way. I think the answer for most of us in some way is yes. Is God really late? Do you want him to bring maximum glory to himself and to show the glory of Jesus to others through your life? Do you have to have it your way on your timetable for God to be glorified properly? You know, Jesus didn't have it another way. Remember he said in the garden, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me three times. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Only to say at the the last time, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus was crucified for us. And Jesus wasn't just allowed to be killed. The death of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, And the plan of God, the Father that Jesus referred to so many times in his mission, he was not just allowed to be killed, the Father literally turned his face away and punished unmercifully, without mercy, on purpose, because that was our sin, deserves no mercy. Punished Jesus unmercifully in our place. He rose from the dead three days later, and I want you to know this morning, if you are in Christ, then you, and you've put your trust in Christ, and you have your sins wiped away by his death on the cross. You have a new life because of the resurrection. And next time, if you want to come back and hear about why the resurrection matters, we're going to be talking about you and the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life is the passage. This passage teaches us that our suffering and even our death can maximize glory to God. And it teaches us that this is love. That Jesus loved them so much he didn't go. Jesus loved them so much that he let his friend die. For now, you and I, we are going to go through things that God allows. I want you to know this morning, if you got cancer or something else, or you're going through the hardest thing you've ever been through, and you don't see light on the other end of the tunnel, so to speak, I want you to know, that this text is, is saying to you, you're going through this. God has allowed it. God is aware. And God is love. God is love. God is never late. So let's trust Him. Let's ask Him for the faith. To trust Him and to live for Him. And one day to die with Him. And to live with Him forever. Let's pray. Lord, would You help us to see that in this world we will have trouble. Take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Help us to see that we should not look at troubles in such a way that we would consider it strange. But that You are with us. Lord, would you give us faith? Would you give us a heart to follow you even in the difficult pathways and to trust you and to trust your timing? And Lord, would you bring maximum glory 
through our lives in the maximum revealing of Jesus as Messiah so that hundreds and hundreds, because of the people even in this room, could eat and live and also show forth his glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.